listener exclusive. From the Penguin Parade at Phillip Island to that new building development in the middle of Warrigal, this is Talking Gippsland with Ed Callishaw. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Gippsland. Well, recently I caught up with Harry Bishop, who is a reptile lover, breeder, educator and public speaker. And guess what? He's only 13 years of age. He's a man that is passionate about looking after wildlife and who knows where he may end up over the next couple of years. We sat down on his couch in his shed with his mum, Beck and spoke about his passions for wildlife how he got introduced to his first blue-tongue lizard, and also his journey ahead. Sit back, relax, and enjoy a wonderful chat with a great young man, Harry Bishop, here on Talking Gippsland. You love your wildlife, and this could be a career and a job and a love and a passion for you. Where, where did it start? It sort of started when I was eight, nine months old. Um, and mum found a bluey in the backyard because there were heaps of them around that area and she just picked them up and showed them to me and um, from then we've been going to shows and I've had reptiles at my birthday and um, reptile encounters have came and done that and um, I guess from there it was kind of just I was kind of interested in everything and I love birds and horses as well but I kind of just found reptiles and it stuck. Now, Rebecca's in the background here, your beautiful mum. Uh, found a blue tongue, eight or nine months. Now, I'm thinking as a mum, nine-month-old child, maybe not crying crying a lot, maybe uh, teething, maybe uh, not breastfeeding, a whole bunch of things there as well. Was the blue tongue just to simply nestle you back to sleep or just to engage you? What, what has mum told you about this? Not much. <laughs> um, but I think... Because we were in the backyard and everything, it was kind of just, you know, she thought it was interesting, she thought it was cool, and it was kind of just, hey, check this out. Yeah. And from then on, you've grown up with these interesting lizards and, and different creations, and I, I know you're a snake handler as well. When was the first time you wrapped a snake around you and felt confident about the experience of, well, really holding some of these magnificent reptiles that we have in this country? Well, in this country, I've generally always felt pretty comfortable with them. Yeah. In other countries, it's a little bit nervous because they're generally much bigger and not treated as well. On Obviously, when I was younger and a lot of younger people, they don't have as much awareness. So, you know, you feel more comfortable around them. But having awareness of them and feeling completely comfortable with them was probably, you know, the start of this year where I've actually noticed them and properly realised what they're doing and not just like, la, 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 there's a snake, I'm not scared of it. The weight is an interesting one, isn't it? I've held a few snakes, or pythons anyway, for that matter, and I'm amazed at the weight of them, which is quite incredible. You're a young man. How do you get used to being one with the snake in a lot of ways? Uh, So I guess with the weight of it, they can get very heavy once you're holding them for a while, Mm. especially my bigger ones, Um, especially when they're moving around and sometimes... They don't have the awareness of trying to help you out. They're kind of just like, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to twist your arm and it's going to be really, really tricky to hold me. And um, that can be tricky. But I think an important part of handling is knowing how they're feeling, which is obviously really tricky, but um, it comes with experience, definitely. And just knowing like the individual snake, because that's what it comes down to a lot of the time. People can say, you know, it's a Centralian carpet python, so each this does that, but some Centralian carpet pythons won't eat um, chickens, some that's all they'll eat. So it really comes down to the individual 
And then, for example, you know, my Centralian couple, Python female, she is super-duper friendly, but if she does think about getting upset at you and getting in a striking position, she'll let you know by vibrating all her muscles and hissing a little bit. And um, that's very different to my male, where he'll just get up and start striking. So it's very, very different individually. And um, even with lizards, you know, I've got male lizards that try and jump out of the tank and bite me, especially during breeding season. And I've got other ones that are so friendly that um, they just come out of the tank, climb all over me and then leap off me and start walking around. So, yeah, it's very much the individual. Reading the body language of animals. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? And I'm amazed what you guys do when it comes to handling wildlife of any any nature, any background as well. Um, do you feel as though you're evolving and getting better and starting to read certain signs and, and are they comparable to different species? Yeah, sort of. I think that I am getting a lot better at reading the um, body signs and things like that. And uh, I think that once you've done a couple of those things that are a little bit trickier with handling, you know, dragons, pythons, and through all the different, you know, kind of s- sorts of reptiles, you can get to a bit of a gist of, you know, if you've got a scared dragon, it's going to do this. You've got an angry dragon, it's going to do this. So obviously they're each individuals and they're going to have a little bit of a different response, but you've got an idea of generally a scared dragon's going to run or attack or something like that. So for example, with frilled necks, they're generally never going to bite. They're just going to open up their mouth, put out the frill, and run into your face. Uh, they've never, I've never seen them bite, and uh, they're not into biting because of the way that they eat with their tongue, so it's not a big deal for them. But I think that another really important thing is if you are wanting to get into snake handling and telling how to handle the snake really, really well, because I've seen people handle snakes and their young children, and they're handling them, and you can see the snake is freaking out, and they're grabbing the snake's head, and it's horrified flipping upside down and everything like that. So I think a very important part is watching some professionals in the industry that are very well known, like Peter Birch. And uh, there's Nerd over in New England, and he's actually very good with the animals. He explains not just uh, how to tell, you know, whether the lizard's blinking or not is a bit of an indication on whether, you know, it's about to have an explosion or whether the snake is tongue flicking or not. So if the snake's not tongue flicking, it's generally thinking... I'm about to explode. And then that's why if it's an arboreal snake, which means a snake that climbs, you lift it above your head to make it feel safer. So things like that are really important to know. That's why watching people like them are really important, especially because he doesn't just explain, you know, this is this snake and you can tell that it's upset because of this, but he tells you completely how to fix that behaviour, like putting it above your head. And then he shows you really good examples of friendly animals and um, a little bit about, you know, the different stages of building threads and trust and then, um, like, no boundaries so you can pat their head and grab their feet and trim their nails and, you know, help them out with their health problems when they need it, which is a really big part of it. And I know people that have snakes that can open up their mouths, even venomous snakes, and the snake has no problem with it. So it's really important to watch those people and then learn that important stuff about handling before you get them as well as obviously care stuff hope you're enjoying our yarn with young harry bishop and wow what a journey he's on when it comes to his passion for wildlife someone else that has been on an incredible journey in 2023 when it comes to her music is emily ann a talented singer songwriter and of course educator right here in gippsland her new ep therapy is about to be launched officially on january 31 
I sat down with her recently. We had a good yarn in the studio and spoke about her journey throughout the year of 2023. I thought, oh no, I just, I haven't, I haven't created a CD. That was, that was my dream. I always wanted to do that. Like, why haven't I done it? Let's just do it. And yeah, it was really, I really had to plan it out and I didn't realise how long it was going to take as well. But yeah, I also have people coming up at gigs going, you know, play your original. And I just sort of thought, well, if if I've got them out there, I'll feel more comfortable playing something. Looking forward to having a yarn with Emily Ann in our next episode of Talking Gippsland. But let's get back to our conversation with young Harry Bishop and his passion for wildlife education. Your knowledge is incredible. Uh, and I just get lost in the conversation and engage with it as well. It's a big part of, of what you want to do uh, down the down the track. It's Talking Gippsland here on Triple M and via Listener uh, with young Harry Bishop, 13 years of age, this man. And the way that he's speaking at the moment, he's, uh, he's very experienced in what he does as well. You mentioned a few names there, um, mentors, inspiration when it comes to uh, the role and where you want to head, of course, when it comes to wildlife and, and your educational experience. How do you go about, I guess, coaching yourself and, and immersing yourself and sponging information from, from other people? Uh, if you're a general keeper that has one reptile, a lizard or snake, it's very hard to end up getting in contact with those larger names like Brian Barchuk and Peter Birch and all those other awesome people. But the uh, reason is, is because they would get hundreds of messages constantly. So um, I guess that, you know, watching YouTube videos when you're a little bit smaller, uh, especially when you're a child, is very, very useful. And then once you know a lot about it and you can be more into the group and the community like the VHS, the Victorian Herbology Society, when you're in the community it's a lot easier to talk to those people as well because like they do speaking gigs there and they uh, also, once you get into that community they're super friendly and they always want to help you so you know they are happy to put you in contact with someone and put you to the front of someone's mind and help you out like that. Uh, got a few mates within the industry. Uh, Joshua Cox is one out of Melbourne who is heavily involved with it. I went to school with him, actually. And he's working on his brand. Now, the brand is that he knows his stuff, um, but how does he get the brand out? How does he get that education uh, pathway out there to, to help others out there and also engage uh, the local community? I think he's out in Glen Waverley and things like that out that way. What are you working on there? Now, you're only 13, okay? And working on a, a brand, the Harry Bishop brand, um, is it something that you are trying to work on yourself as well from being not only someone that's passionate about the wildlife but also excited about it and engaging with, whether it be, dare I say, it, younger kids than you as well or parents or families and things like that? How do you go about working on the other side, the behind the microphone and in front of the TV part of Harry Bishop? I kind of go about it trying to do some really short clips on reels and things like that about information on, you know, how to deal with stuck shed and other things like that and how to set up the correct enclosure. And I think another major part of that, which we haven't quite gotten to yet, is, you know, flyers and leaflets and one pages about information that's very, very helpful. And then, you know, um, once you're much bigger going on to do reptile shows and things like that. Um, And I know it's very tricky because the reptile industry, it's often very not professional. You know, you've Mm. got those massive names that are very professional. They work in the office really, really hard, especially Copperhead Customs and things like that. They especially try with their brand stuff. Um, 
And it was actually very funny because we saw them at Gary V talking gigs and things like that. So a lot of people really, really try hard to do really well with marketing and sales and funnels and um, just general brand. Um, and then some other people, you know, they're just breeders. And that's not a problem. But, you know, if you do want to get bigger, obviously you need the other stuff. Um, and I think a lot of the problem with that is we're very laid back. And it's not actually a problem. It's really, really good thing. But I guess if you do want to get to one that one of those big spots, you really have to go into the um, kind of those high-pressure-ish kind of yeah. environments where you're more of an office yep. than just a breeding room. Yep. And um, obviously you need both, but I think it's very important as well as a lot of reptile people appreciate it when you're not just trying to sell yourself up. So I know people like Brian Barchuk, they very rarely speak about their um, reptile selling business because I didn't even know that he had a business until he mentioned it once in a YouTube video. I didn't even know that. So I think an important part about that is not trying to push selling yourself and um, instead trying to make the connections and make the education so that then you've got, I guess, more of a community around you instead of like people that want to buy from you because there's going to be less of them and then once you've got a community as well they're going to want to buy from you especially Mm -hmm. because they trust you they know you and it's a bit of a um private breeder thing like colin ray you know if he was to do something bad which he would never ever do and sell a dodgy snake or something like that that's going to ruin his name so people that have private breeding businesses would never do that and that's where they build up their group as well as do that and then they sell heaps of reptiles because people go I know where to link you up with someone. I know where to get this for you. Go to this person. He's always got really, really good stuff. It's incredible. Yeah, it's it's entertainment and information. It's that fine balance. And I think with you as well, with your branding, you've got social media, you've got Instagram, you've got all these sort of things there as well to help you out, which is which is marvellous. But it's a lot of work, a lot of work involved in this to, to simply get it up and running. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? You're 13 years of age, right? The life is all in front of you. What, where do you feel as though you're going to find yourself in, in let's say, 18th birthday? Where, where do you want to be by 18? Well, I do really want to quickly mention that before I go on to this, a lot of my social media is actually helped with by my mum and she helps me with a lot of that. Ah, there we go. Um, Looking after mum. Yep. And especially on Facebook. Yep. Um, but by that time, I would really like to have a large collection that's not in my shed, even though it's a big shed and it's got plenty of space, uh, I'd like to have it on a property that's solely purposed for that. And then eventually buying another property, moving all the reptiles on that shed into a different place and then getting the correct licensing and turning into a zoo to be um, into that shed and have plenty of outdoor enclosures, pits and indoor enclosures and I guess kind of adoption islands, a bit like what Snake Discovery has at their uh, zoo and make it so that obviously people won't just go out and buy reptiles on a whim but if they are very, very interested and passionate about reptiles like me and they go to the zoo and there's this amazing animal and they go, oh, I really want to get one of these and then they see this on adoption island, they can go, I'm going to get it. Would you want to be based here in Gippsland or would you rather be in a warmer climate? Because I look at these lizards, they're very happy at the moment. Look at them, look at them, beautiful little creatures. Um, 
Would you rather be in the northern climates of Queensland or the Territory or even the Kimberleys for that matter to base yourself um, to create that experience or would you be happy to be here in uh, in beautiful Gippsland? Well, I'd probably maybe be around Gippsland, like on the outskirts of it. Yeah. Um, although it would probably be a consideration to go up a little bit in mm. the warmer weather but not, you know, where Australia Zoo is in the Gold Coast and Cairns because I want to be somewhere that's really really far out of everything i know that uh, australia zoo is pretty far out but i want to be somewhere where um it's an effort to go to not an absolute effort so that people don't want to go but an effort so that people that want to see reptiles that don't actually love them won't go because i've seen a lot of people at dedicated reptile zoos only reptiles and they've came and they're scared of snakes and they don't want anything to do with them and they make up all this bad stuff about them and their myths and I would like to have at my zoo only the people that really, really care about them and really want to be there and aren't scared of them. And obviously, like, they, I don't really care if, you know, they're less comfortable around snakes because that's always something you can work on. And it's obviously if you get lizards, it's probably going to be a part of it after you're going to get snakes. Harry, it's um, amazing to see your involvement. You're only 13, mate. 13. How to be 13 again. Uh, but... It's incredible to watch your journey. Just keep evolving, evolving. I wish you all the best from your goals to get to 18 and everywhere else as lizards start to climb all over me as well. They're going for a wander. Uh, as you just mentioned, sometimes they want to sit there for half an hour. Other times they might want to wander somewhere else. And I think I've got a lizard behind me as well, by the way, which is exciting as well. Um, Harry, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it, mate. And all the best on your journey as well, wherever the, your career and journey may take you. Yeah, thank you. It was really nice having a chat to you. Great having a yarn with a young man with a big passion with wildlife education, and that's Harry Bishop. You can check him out on his Facebook page, Next to Nature with Harry. And uh, also, he's up for uh, getting out to local events and uh, promoting uh, wildlife education that way as well. So uh, make sure you check him out, Next to Nature with Harry. In our next episode, we're going to catch up with the talented singer-songwriter and educator when it comes to music, Emily Ann, and talk about her huge year that was 2023 and help deliver the brand new EP, Therapy. Just to sit around watching old-time movies, not having to get dressed up. A two-way street where people give as much as they take. Oh, what I give to have this simple life. Looking forward to spending some time with Emily, Anne, and yourselves in our next episode of Talking Gippsland. Catch you soon. A listener production.